Again, I'm glad all of y'all could be with us as we join together in worship, now in Word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 12. That's where we're going to be basing the message off of, John 12, and I'm actually going to be reading verse 1 through 9, but but before I do that, uh, share a little bit more about the Olympics. You know, the, the Olympics is so much about perfection. Uh, Linda and I were talking about this. You know, I'm, I'm the type dude, I was like, man, I just wish you could, you know, like work out and train and just like, just, just blast through it, you know. But, but it's so much about technique. There's so much detail and technique and precision, particularly in the swimming. And I, and I love the swimming. I mean, it's all about how the swimmers jump off. I mean, if they get a good start, uh, so much in, in the turn. So you can't just, like, swim through the water. You know, detail, precision, perfection. It's, it's got to be perfect. I mean, there are, there are races where people win by, like, one one-hundredth. And that, that is precise. Like, it's a fingernail. You know, it's less than a fingernail, actually. And the reason I say that is because we're going to be talking about something today that actually ties into perfection. A lot of people call it perfection. A lot of people say, well, well that, is, that is being perfect. And it's holiness. Holy. As you saw on the creed, the, the words underlined was, was holy. Holy Spirit. The holy Catholic Church, which next week we'll talk about the church, but the creed calls it the holy church. Then the communion of saints literally means holy people. And we miss out on, on that word. We just kind of take it for granted, holiness. And to be totally honest, I mean, really, just transparent, I mean, the word holy kind of goobs me out. I mean, I'll just be honest. I mean, I'm just like, holy. Because I know a lot of folks who are uh, not Christians, who do not go to church. And the reason they don't is because of folks they think that are holier than thou. Uh, or, you know, the, the holy rollers um, who appear holy and act holy, but, you know, it just it comes across the wrong way. And so, you know, I've never, as pastor, be even more, you know, like real, I've, never, I've been like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like holy. I mean, that just, you know, it just, it just kind of goobs me out, um, to be honest. And, you know, I've always said, you know, now I could, you know, try to be like cool, you know, as a pastor. Cool or real, you know, like be real and authentic. But then another mentor pastor said, you know, a cool pastor, it's like a big, tall jockey in horse racing. It just doesn't work. So, I mean, I kind of, you know, thrown that out and, you know, make fun of myself and all that. But, but seriously, like, you know, being real is, is one thing. But holiness, not just pastors, though, Christians. I very rarely hear a Christian say, you know, I aspire to holiness. I want to live a holy life. I'll hear Christians say, I want to be real, you know. I'll hear Christians say, you know, I want to be discerning God's word of what God wants to do for my life. I hear Christians say, I want to be missional and go on mission locally, globally. I even hear Christians say, I want to be discipled or I want to disciple other folks. Very rarely hear a believer say, I want to, I want to be holy. I want to live a holy life. I mean, in my opinion, I don't know, like, youth, those of y'all, you know, high school and stuff. I mean, throwing the holy card... Uh, I mean, it, I don't think it would, like, get you a lot of friends or get you invited to a lot of parties. I mean, holy just, it, it, it has this connotation of whether it's holier than thou or holy rollers or just kind of, you know. The thing is, we've got to deal with holiness. And we've we got to hit holiness. Why don't I say that? It's who God is. 
is who God is. In your Bibles, Isaiah 6, 3, Isaiah has a vision, and angels are calling the name of the Lord. And looking up at God, they see a vision of God. And, you know, they don't say, love, love, love. God is love, love, love. Even though 1 John talks about God is love. They don't say, truth, truth, truth. God is truth, God is truth, God is truth. Even though Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They don't even say, God is joy, joy, joy. Joy, joy, joy. Even though Jesus says with his disciples that his joy would be fulfilled in them, in us. doesn't say any of those. What the angels say, Isaiah 6, 3 says, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. We got to deal with holiness because we worship the holy God who calls us to a holy life. What does that look like? John 12. I believe we see a holy life here. I'm going to read verse 1 through 9. And this is a person who really gets overlooked in most of the Bible. It's Mary, but it's not the two more famous Marys. There's Mary, mother of Jesus. And then there's Mary Magdalene. This is Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany, who was Lazarus' sister. Jesus raised from the dead. And this is right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So John 12, starting with verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, But because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Holiness. How is this a holy life? Let me set the scene for you. Jesus had raised Lazarus. They were having a big party. Um, They were having a banquet, it says. Now, this is, uh, you know, this is near Jerusalem, a couple miles out of Jerusalem, okay? This is not like Rome, where they have uh, kind of opulent baths and people have wealth. These, These are poor folks, an agrarian community, and just point blank, they pretty much come together and they, like, they all stink. Okay, just, just, they, all, they all smell. Uh, there are no showers or baths. Um, there's no refrigerators. There's, there's really none of that. No deodorant or anything, you know, what we have today. So when they have a party, what they, what they would do, the custom was, they would take this thing called pure nard or perfume. Actually, it was made from India, Dr. Matarala, pure nard. And as folks would come in, they would put a dab on everyone's head that, that entered. So, you know, they would, they'd smell a lot better. And then Mary here, she does something, it's like crazy. I mean, totally 
unpractical, unconventional. She takes this, this jar of this expensive perfume and whether she breaks it or shatters it, it and it all comes out. And the whole room is, is filled, the gospel says, with the fragrance. This expensive ointment, perfume. This was probably, one of the commentaries said, this, this was probably the family savings. Probably an heirloom passed down. I mean, if, if famine hit, or if like the Romans invaded, or if there was a drought or a flood, I mean, this was it. This was their savings. This was, this is what they had. And, and Mary literally shatters it and spends it and blows it, whatever you might say. And actually, it talks about the folks ridiculing her. This, this scene in Mark 14 shows the same scene. Mark 14, 5, it actually says the people scolded her. Mark 14, 5. And interesting on that, the Greek word for scolded literally mean like roared or snorted. Like they were, they were, they were like, this woman is nuts. This woman is crazy. She's poured all of this onto the feet of Jesus. And that was something else. Like nobody touched people's feet. I mean, you think feet are bad today. Feet back then, you know, in that type of community, sandals walking around, they were disgusting. Slaves would not even wash feet. Only the non-Jewish slaves would wash a person's feet. Mary bows to the feet of Jesus. And then last but not least, most scandalous of all, she lets down her hair. She lets down her hair. In, in this time, in this, in this place, in this custom, you don't let down your hair. I mean, that's like connotations of sex, connotations of, hey, this is someone who is intimate. You only let down your hair as a woman with either your husband, your closest family. Not only did she let down her hair, she wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. I mean, people are like, whoa, man, this is, they're like too heavy or this, what has happened to this, this woman? And they mocked her, they ridiculed her, they scolded her. And Jesus says, let her be. Let her be. Because she's, he says, preparing for the day of my burial. She says, let her be. What Mary is saying, Mary has come to the realization of who Jesus is. And Mary is saying, I'm giving it all up for, for you, Jesus. She's saying, money's not going to hold me back. Yeah, we've got this savings. Money... I'm not just giving 10%. I'm not just giving like 50%. I'm not giving 80%. I'm giving it all. It's, it's yours. Her rights aren't holding her back. And this is really important. She washes his feet. She's saying, there is nothing I wouldn't do. She's saying, I, I will stoop to the lowest level. She's saying, I, I will... This is not demeaning of me. This is not... I don't think this is lowly of me. She said, I, I don't have any rights. Whatever you ask me to do, Jesus, wherever you call me to go, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I will do it. And then 
she says, I'm not going to be held back by status or even her family. Because when she lets down her hair, I mean, she knows what people are going to say. She knows that she's going to be ridiculed even more. She knows that she's going to be demeaned. She knows that this is reserved for family, for the most intimate, for the ones you love most. And she's like, money's not going to hold me back. My rights aren't going to hold me back. Status, that nothing is going to hold me back from you, Jesus, from worshiping you, from bowing at your feet, from cleansing your feet, for going where you call me to go, for doing what you want me to do. Not money, not rights, not status, nothing. She's saying, I'm yours, Jesus. Totally, completely. And the other thing I, I believe she's saying in this is because, see, a lot of us, a lot of you, have like, you know, you accept Jesus. Ask him into your heart. But we don't fully give him our heart. I mean, we don't. Here's what I'm saying. Like, we say, Jesus, I'll give you my heart, you know, but there are conditions. You know, as long as my life is, is good or, you know, there are challenges that I can try to uh, hit or knock out, but there are always conditions. Mary's saying there, there are no conditions. She's saying, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do it with joy. She's saying, I, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love it. I mean, I give you all my heart and I'm going to love it. I mean, think about that. Don't miss that. You give your heart to Jesus, but you love doing it. Do, do any of us, I mean, I... Would any of us love, like, giving all our money away? I mean, wouldn't just, like, love it. Would any of us love, like, giving all our rights away and doing, like, demeaning work? Would any of us just love giving status away We're in a place where status is so important? Or even family relationships away where family relationships are so important? We love that. I know we could say, yeah, I would love it. You know, the Sunday school answer. But, I mean, deeply. She is. She is. What is holiness? Holiness has no conditions. And, and to me, it's, it's interesting, it's fascinating that John highlights Judas here. He hits Judas. You know, I mean, he didn't have to. He could say, you know, the disciples. He could say, but he says Judas. He says Judas, one of the disciples, who was about to betray him. He said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then, of course, John explains it, that he didn't care about the poor. He just liked the money. But there's a contrast. Judas and Mary. And I need you to see this contrast because it, it really hit home to me. Contrast is, and it's all really about holiness. Are you selling Jesus? Or are you sold out for Jesus? Do we use Jesus for our needs? Or we say, Jesus, use me as you will. Yeah, what do you mean by that, selling Jesus? What I mean by, like, showing ourselves as good Christian folks. Selling, promoting Jesus. We're, we're selling Jesus so that, hey, maybe we can have relationships, or maybe we can have a business deal. You know, I mean, Christian businessmen and women can get deals down here. Are we using Jesus for our own needs? Or are we truly saying, I'm going to be sold out? Whenever, wherever, whatever, Jesus. Are we saying, you know, use me as you will, and it may be demeaning? That's holiness. And there's, this, there's a contrast. And I think it's so important for us and where we live in that there's a question all of us are going to face. Are we going to sell Jesus for our own needs, or are we sold out? Are we going to use Jesus to get our way, or just say, Jesus, use me as you will? Holiness is no conditions. 
Holiness is a way as, as some is, is, is digging that hole in Honduras. I mean, it's just demeaning. I mean, you're, you're getting no credit for it. I mean, it's just, holiness is, holiness is no conditions. Holiness is saying, even if I don't get what I want, Jesus. Holiness says, even if my needs aren't met. Even, Jesus, if I'm not inspired. Even if you don't, like, help myself in steam, man, I will worship at your feet. Just take the conditions away. That's holiness, but what would a holy life like actually look like? I mean, we see this example, I mean, today or any day. What, what's a holy life? Like, what happens? What, what happens? Well, there, there's differences. There are differences in how you come to church. There are differences in whether it's religion or, or holiness, true holiness. Religion or the gospel. One would be, like, how you worship. You know, we get caught, so caught up in styles and, you know, worship styles and, you know... Whether it's contemporary, traditional, or, you know, I mean, rock or music. You know, I mean, you know, you know the, the debates or the arguments or the conversations. Holiness in worship is just saying we have a holy God. Man, we're the traditional, contemporary, right? Man, let's worship Him freely, openly. And not worship Him because, you know, not even because the music's good. The music can be great, but like, because He's God, because He's holy. And what He's done for us. Not only is holiness worship, it's, it's prayer. Think about this. How many of you, and I, and I include myself fully in this, I mean, the majority of the time we pray is for our needs. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I pray for, you know, the child in this caring. I pray for my children. I pray for my wife. I pray for my family. I pray for your needs. I pray for this church. I, I pray for needs. I mean, that's probably 80% of my prayers. It's just honest. Holiness is like praying just because God's holy and like being intimate with Him and praising Him and praying. I mean, there are people, and I can't claim to do this, which is good. There are people that spend like hours of praise in their prayer life, like worshiping God in prayer. So we do that. That's holy, just praying because of who God is and what He has done. A holy life is willing and open. Like, God, you call me, I'm gone. You call me, I'll do. You call me, I'll serve. It's going to the feet. Letting down your hair. Whatever, whenever, wherever. And holiness, I believe, is humble and bold. There is, this is a bold depiction. I mean, this, this young lady is going out, just standing out at this party, at this banquet, Destroying the family finances, getting at the feet, letting down her head. There's no, nothing more bold, but yet it's also so humble. Because she's just going to the feet of Jesus. And she said, I'm just, I'm just coming to you, Jesus. Holiness is humble yet bold. Holiness is worshiping God because he's, he's holy. Holiness is praying for intimacy and for a relationship and not just for our needs. Holiness is saying, man, I, I will... I will go. So often we make holiness about perfection. So often we make holiness about following the rules. And it's not. It's, it's being set apart. Use a, a swimming story, Olympic story, Michael Phelps story. Um, I, don't, I don't know what his, uh, what his Christian status is, if he believes Christ or not. But he did something that, that to me was like, you know, that's, that's what a Christian would do, I think. That's what a holy person should do. And it was uh, is not when he won gold. 
That's when he won a silver medal this week. And the reason I say this is because, you know, swimming, the Olympics, it's so much about perfection, so much about the details. It's, it's precise. I mean, you win by a hundredth of a, of a second. Well, anyway, Phelps won this silver. I think it was the 100 fly, the butterfly, which he was supposed to win gold, and this South African beat him. So he got the silver. And, you know, Michael Phelps, I mean, dude is driven. You know, dude is competitive. And he won silver by, I mean, literally, the, he made a mistake going in, and he stretched out too much. And the other, I mean, it was a Phelps move in 08, and the guy, guy won. So his coach said, the most proud that I've been of Phelps is after he won that silver. And the reason why is, he said, the Phelps of old, I mean, that would have just, he'd have been burning mad, like, you know, at least 24 hours, he said, and upset at himself that he, he didn't get it perfect. And he said he was at first. I mean, right after the race, I mean, he was just so frustrated. You know, he should have won. He made a mistake. But he said, I was, I was so proud of him after that because he got on the medal stand. And this South African guy, Phelps was his hero years ago. And Phelps saw him and kind of started smiling, showed him how to hold the gold medal, and just encouraged him and, like, just began to start a relationship with him. And he was like, the Phelps of all would have been like, man, you know, just still frustrated and, you know, should have been up there on the top of the podium. And I thought about that, you know, for us. It's like often we make holiness so much about perfection. And a lot of us really driven folks, you know, if we don't get it perfect, we get angry at ourselves. We get frustrated. But like, even when we lose, even when we lose, do we show the grace of Christ? Even when we lose, do we, do we reflect Christ? I just want to throw that out. I mean, it, it really hit me because holiness is so much about doing the right thing all the time, being perfect, Holiness is really being set apart and living as Christ did. And what Jesus said, and it's hard stuff, is if you want to find your life, you're going to lose it. So, I mean, we will lose. If, if we're moving towards holiness, we will, we will lose at times in this life. And are we good with it? Will we say, you know, whatever, whenever, wherever, I will go. How do we get there? How do you get to be holy? I mean, how do we get to this holy life? I think we also see this in Mary. I always like to say, everybody's got a backstory. There's the story, but then there's the story behind the story. Situation of life, there's the story, but then there's a backstory. You've got to look at Mary's backstory. How to get holy? Mary's backstory shows us. See, Mary, if you, if you read through the Gospels, Mary, Mary of Bethany, this Mary, she is always at the feet of Jesus. She's always doing something at the feet of Jesus. First time, though... In Luke, Luke 10, 29, Luke 10, 29, it says, She, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is the passage where it talks about having a Mary heart in a Martha world, all that. Martha was scurrying around. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. Now see, Mary, you got to get this, Mary was a Jew. I mean, she was a religious person. She knew her scripture. She knew the Old Testament. She knew the prophecies of the Messiah. And she's sitting and she's listening and she's hearing Jesus and, and she's thinking. And she's putting some stuff together like, okay, who is this dude? You know, I mean, I know he says this. Scripture, I mean, she's, she's listening to his teaching and she's, she's thinking about what he says. She's, she's kind of 
beginning to get it. Much like many of you come to church or Sunday school or a small group and you sit and you listen and you process. Process it. Who's this dude? Who's this cat? Jesus. But then there's a change in her. You move to John 11. Before John 12, what we read... And John 11 gives a little bit more of the background story. you got to remember this. Follow me here. John 11, verse 19. says, Many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. Verse 20. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Simple verse. What does that matter? She was Jewish. She had a lot of Jewish friends. Follow me. It's going to make sense in just a minute. She had a lot of Jewish friends. They were consoling her. They were talking to her. She had heard the teachings of Jesus. She was saying, you know, who is this guy? Great teaching. He could have healed my brother. She didn't know if he could raise him to the dead. But then, verse 32, John 11, it says, When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believes that Jesus could heal Lazarus. So she knows he is this great prophet. She knows he's this great teacher. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus had emotion for her. And she's saying, Jesus, you could have healed him. Well, then he raises Lazarus from the dead. This is the key point. Verse 45, you could easily just blow through this verse. It says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The friends of Mary, the Jews, Mary was a Jew, saw Lazarus raised from the grave, went to the Pharisees, told them, and then, verse 53 Pharisees said, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You're like, oh, what is all this? And then, chapter 12, Mary falls at his feet. Mary's gone through a process. Some of you are going through a process. Some of you have gone through a process. The process is this. Jesus teaching. Interesting. And she's like, okay, I know some of that. And it's beginning to make sense. Then, Jesus is a great healer. He could have healed Lazarus. Then, these friends of hers... The Jews, the Jewish, they go and they tell the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees say, we're going to get him. We're going to kill him. Close friends of Mary. Wouldn't they come back to the party? Wouldn't they talk? I mean, surely they didn't gossip back then, you know. They would talk. One of the commentaries I read said that Mary heard the plans that Jesus would be killed. And she gets it. I believe she gets it. But you don't go from sitting at his feet, hearing the teaching, thinking he might get healed, seeing Lazarus raised from the dead, and then anointing the feet of Jesus. She knows the script. She knows about the sacrificial lamb. She knows about the Messiah. She knows this, and she puts it together. She gets it. What does she get? That he raised Lazarus so he could die soon. And then he would die for her. Why not say this? Because Jesus says, she's doing this for the day of my burial. She's anointing my feet for the day of my burial. She gets it. 
does she get that Jesus is going to die for her? He's the Messiah. He's the sacrificial lamb. She's like, this is going to happen. This, this is happening now. It's happening soon. I say that to you like, go back to the question. How do you become holy? You get what Jesus has done. You're like, oh, I'll get it. I get it. No. A lot of you don't. A lot of us don't. You get Jesus died for you. You get Jesus went to the cross for you. You get my sins are washed away because he poured himself out for you. You get he is both the lamb and the lion and he deserves our worship. You get that if Jesus does nothing else for us in this life, whether in family or job or relationships, our entire lives are deserving of worship to him. You get it. And you love it. And you love the demeaning work. And you love saying, wherever, whenever, whatever, I'll go. It's holiness. See, we live in a culture where it's so indoctrinated us, it's, it's hard to get. It's hard to get. But some of you are getting there. Some of you have been there. Some of you are getting it. I read a, a quote. I can't remember who the guy was, but he said, What is holiness? Holiness is not the right behavior nor the right actions. Holiness is a new desire and a new affection that leads to the right actions and behavior. You know, live a holy life. Think about how Jesus poured himself out for you. You want to live a holy life? We all got to make a choice. We all have to make this choice. Are we going to sell Jesus or be sold out? Are we going to use Jesus or let him use us? You want to live a holy life? The song we're about to sing, take my life and let it be. When you sing that, can we live it? I mean, really, take my life and let it be. Consecrated, crucified, only for thee. You know, live a holy life, realizing that Jesus' life was poured out, literally poured out for you. Those of us who are in Honduras, I don't know about y'all, but the words keep going back over and over in my mind. Santo, santo, santo. It means in Spanish, holy, holy, holy. Santo, santo, santo. I can't sing. Santo, santo, santo. I want to see you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you as we, we close, close your eyes, and we're not going to pray. Just close your eyes if you indulge me. And I'd, I'd simply ask you to think about and see Jesus Christ pouring himself out for you. Don't make it corporate. Don't make it about a group. Don't make it about your family. Make it about you, personally. And think about the things you've done. Think about things in your heart. Think about things that you want to wash away. Think about guilt. Think about shame. Think about regret. And see, see. Jesus, and it's just you and him. And he's pouring himself out for you.
He did it for you. It's personal. See it. See him.